Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. But I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'd like to add my welcome to everybody here today. It is good to see you. And uh, we give thanks for being blessed in the midst of all the devastation we've been seeing of the hurricane that it wasn't so bad in our area, but our hearts break and are very concerned about our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who many who have lost everything. And like Warren told you, we have a fund that's established to help with that. We're going to be assessing what we can do from our end as, as the needs are made more prevalent. But uh, let us just be in constant prayer and uh, seek to be the hands and the feet of Christ any way that we can be to those who are hurting. I'd also say a word of thanks for the band. You do an awesome job and what a way of leading us into God's presence just in, you know, it's all about Jesus and we're just thank you for leading us into his presence today. Yes. <laughs> today we are actually concluding a series of sermons that we've been doing for uh, almost, to be the 10th week uh, today. For the last 10 weeks we've been looking at nine qualities that really define the Holy Spirit's work within our lives. And today we're going to be looking at the uh, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit known as self-control. I don't know about you, but this is one that um, you know, I need. I always tell people, if you think I'm pointing a finger at you, I've got three pointing back at me. But when it comes to self-control, I think we can all identify this is an area that we struggle with, that we need more of. And usually we, as we look at the world in our, right now, it's definitely a fruit that we need more of. During the course of this series, I have encouraged you to begin each day by saying a prayer. Begin your day with a prayer asking for God's Holy Spirit to bear these fruits within you. A prayer like the one we learned from John Stott. We've used it several times in this series. And as a way of beginning this morning and focusing us, I want to invite us to say this prayer together. You see it up here on the screen. And those of you at home, we invite you to join with us as we pray together. Holy Spirit. I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I hope that you will continue that habit of asking God's Holy Spirit to help you to bear this fruit in your life beyond this series of sermons. I hope that it becomes a a part of your daily walk with Christ. Because as we have talked about, we are living in a world today that is in desperate need of seeing God's people demonstrate and impact the lives of others through these fruits of His Spirit. I truly believe that this is one of the greatest ways that we can impact and make a difference in changing the culture and changing the attitudes in the world around us. That's something God wants us to do. So we've looked at these fruits today. We're going to revisit them again. And as we talked about, when it comes to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it really can be summed up in one word. And that is the word character. 
character. In week one, we talked about how Christian character is really defined by the way that we treat others. It's defined by the way that you speak to others, how you relate to others, how you respond to those around you who are in need. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is made evident in the way that we interact with one another. Uh, This is why Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And to recap what we've been learning through this series. In week one, we talked about the fruit of love, how it's really not optional for Christians and the Christian way of life. I mean, this is to be the fundamental priority for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Whereas Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we learned that that love is defined, at least biblically, uh, not as being a feeling or an emotion that you have, but rather it's an action. It's a choice you make in spite of how you feel. As followers of Jesus Christ, love of God and love of others is supposed to undergird everything that we do. It's fundamental. In week two, we learned that the fruit of joy is not only a good feeling that you have because you know you're in a right relationship with God, but it's a good feeling that you're supposed to share with others. We learned that we're really supposed to try to be joy makers, not joy takers or joy suckers. And in a similar way, in week three, we learned about the fruit of peace. That it's not only uh, God's promise to us, but it is a command. I mean, if you walk in the light of God's Holy Spirit, God has promised that you will experience the peace of his presence. But it is also something that we're supposed to try to create in our relationships with others. As Paul says in Romans 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In week four, we talk about the, um, the fruit of patience and how it is really our willingness to trust God to do his work in our life. As John Ortberg put it, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is we're waiting for. And when it comes to our impatience with those around us, we talked about how God expects us to try to be patient with others in the same way that he is patient with us. In week five, we looked at the fruit of kindness. And I challenge you to really ask yourself two questions in your situations with others. Question number one is, how would Jesus treat this person in this situation? And number two, how would I treat this person if he or she was Jesus? As we strive to do with patience, the kindness that we receive from God, we're supposed to try to share with others. In week six, we looked at the fruit of goodness. And we we contrasted the idea of being good with doing good. Because doing good is never less than an action. I mean, it has nothing to do with the way that you feel. It is, I mean, you can do good. I mean, you can do good even if you wake up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed. Because doing good is is a choice that you make. It is a commitment that you make every day to try to do good today in whatever situation I find myself in. In week seven, we considered the fruit of faithfulness. And we learned that being faithful is is never to be used as a bargaining chip with God, in that I will be faithful if all the pieces of my life fall into place. No, we are to be faithful, even when we don't have the resources that we think others do. We are to be faithful even when nobody's looking over our shoulder, holding us accountable. 
We are to strive to be faithful even when we don't know the outcome of our efforts. Last week, we looked at the fruit of gentleness and meekness. And we learned that meekness is not weakness. Rather, it is a, a power under control. It is knowing when to be tough and when to be tender and preferring to be tender. And today, <clears throat> we look at that fruit of the Spirit known as self-control. And one of the things that we tried to help you understand in the series is that there is really a paradox to the Christian life. And that is that you can't become spiritually mature by your own effort alone. But neither can you become spiritually mature without your own effort. In other words, you cannot bear this fruit of God's Holy Spirit. You cannot live this way by your own effort by itself. But neither can you bear it without some effort on your own. I mean, you have to have effort involved into it. <clears throat> These qualities just don't overtake you and develop within you without no effort on your part. The Apostle Paul referred to these qualities as being fruit because everybody knows that to bear fruit, you have to cultivate it. And if you're going to grow fruit, I mean, you can't just take apple seeds and throw them on the ground, come back a few months later and expect there to be an orchard waiting on you. It just it doesn't work that way. The, the fruit has to be cultivated. And the same is true when it comes to cultivating these fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's especially true when it comes to cultivating the spiritual fruit known as self-control. Socrates considered this word, self-control, to be the foundational human virtue. He says, you can have all the knowledge in the world. It's not going to do you a bit of good if you don't learn how to control your passions and your desires. And we know that that's true. Because from the beginning of human history, we have come to understand that we have desires and we have passions that really serve us no good. And if we yield to every impulse or passion or desire we have, then soon everything in our life is going to end up in one big mess. We have all seen how unbridled uh, passions have wrecked the lives of people for thousands of years. And we're seeing it happen right now in our, in our country, in our culture. You, every time you look on the television set or turn on the news. And this will continue to happen until the end of time. Because it is our human nature. When we are separated and uncontrolled by God's Holy Spirit. I don't think I really have to try to plead the case uh, that, you know, we have desires that um, we shouldn't have. Uh, we have uh, we want to do things that we shouldn't do. I think we can all agree on that fact. Uh, we know that most of the time our initial desire is not to show love. It is not to be kind to others. It is not to spread joy or to make for peace. It is not to be patient or to be good to others. It is not to be faithful or to treat others with gentleness. Our burning desire to often is um, to pursue those things that, that destroy our lives, that, that damage our relationships, that wreck our health. Our natural desires, left unchecked, tend to produce nothing but chaos, turmoil, and misery. And so Paul includes this fruit of the Spirit known as self-control as one of those qualities that he says the Holy Spirit will help us and empower us to put into practice if we'll just ask God to help us with it. It's a daily thing, but if you seek to walk in the light of God's will and you ask God to help you, the promise is that he will. 
And the truth is, without this fruit of self-control, these other eight uh, qualities, and other eight fruits, really, it's just going to be a hit-and-miss thing in our lives. And you may knock it out of the park one day, but then the next day, uh, you're going to strike out with bases loaded. That's just the nature of the way it is. I mean, cultivating this fruit of the Holy Spirit, known as self-control, that enables us to be more consistent in the long run with all of these fruits. And so it's very important. But, of course, the question is how? How do we do this? How, how do we cultivate self-control? Well, today I'm going to give you some perspectives that I think could really help us with this. If, if you have the right thinking about these things and rightly understand the things we're going to be talking about today, I believe that we'll have greater success at keeping our, our passions in check, our desires in check, and helping us to live a life that more effectively resembles Jesus Christ. And after all, that's our ultimate goal. So here's the first perspective that I encourage you to consider as it comes to cultivating this spirit of the fruit known as self-control. And that is to understand the significance of all that is at stake. The significance of all that is at stake. And this is important because often we are motivated by the immediate payoff of whatever our desires is calling us to do. Instead of thinking about the ramifications, considering all that is really at stake. For instance, we know that gorging ourselves with pizza and eating ice cream every day is not good for us. Right? It's just not good. We know that. But it tastes so good. (laughs) And uh, it's what I want. And so, heck with it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat some pizza and ice cream. And I'll I'll just worry about the uh, long-term effects later. I mean, if I have to do some damage control later down the road, I'll just do damage control later down the road. I want what I want now. Sound familiar? That tends to be typical. We want what we want now. And we, it's only natural for us, it seems, to be able to justify having what we want now without considering all that's at stake, the ramifications and consequences of that. And that not, that not only applies to the decisions we make about our health, it also applies to uh, our relationships, our marriages, our families. Many times we take the immediate satisfaction of blowing up in anger, of being critical, of being unfaithful, of being absent or distracted by other things in terms of our relationships. We take the immediate payoff of indulging an impulse without really thinking about all that is really at stake. The long-term results. And I think this also applies to our spiritual lives and to our attitudes towards sin. I mean, when you take a serious look at all that is really at stake, you realize that the immediate payoff is not quite as appealing as it often appears to be. So in order to cultivate this fruit of self-control, we really have to learn how to Look at the big picture of things. Consider all that is really at stake. Recently, I saw a TV documentary on television. I was flipping the channels and caught my attention. It was a man talking about his, his struggle with overcoming obesity. And he, he made the statement. He said, I used to joke that if someone would pay me $1,000 for every pound that I lost, man, I could lose 100 pounds real quickly. We're talking about $100,000. I, I could lose a lot of weight that way. And if that person continued to pay me to keep the weight off, I'd probably uh, keep the weight off all my life. 
I think if you've ever struggled with weight, you probably can understand that kind of thinking and motivation. But then he went on to say that after a uh, health scare in his life, he said he began to realize that what was at stake was far more important than just trying to earn $100,000. What was at stake was his health, his future. It was not just the medical bills that uh, were surely to be uh, incurred. It was also his future, the years of his life that he was taking away from his family, from himself. And suddenly when he realized all that was really at stake, he began to pursue a more healthy lifestyle. He began to practice self-control. In our text this morning, Paul says, Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable one. And then in the next verse, he says, um, he says he endures self-control and self-discipline so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified for the prize. In other words, the Apostle Paul understood what's really at stake. It is an eternal prize that's really at stake. And that is too important to to, uh, miss for the mere sake of... um, immediate satisfaction or gratification. Dr. Henry Cloud, he talks about the importance of uh, the inevitable sequence or consequence of cause and effect in life. And he's talking about how every action has future implications. We have to recognize this. He says, any one thing that you do is only a scene in a larger movie. To understand that action, you have to play it out all the way to the end of the movie. Here he's talking about understanding what is ultimately at stake. Uh, in every action we take, we have to understand that this has ramifications of that. We, we ought to try to fool ourselves in thinking we can beat the system of cause and effect in life. That is, we say to ourselves that, you know, this inappropriate conversation I'm having right now, it, it won't come back to haunt me. Or this binge I'm on right now, it's not going to come back to haunt me. Well, this spending spree, it's not going to jeopardize my financial security. And on and on it goes. But you know, you can't win at that game. You can't beat the system of cause and effect. If you want to cultivate this fruit of self-control in your life, you have to understand the cause and effect nature of every decision that you make and all that is really at stake. And then that leads, I I think, to the second perspective that we need to consider when it comes to cultivating this spiritual fruit of self-control. And that is, we have to understand the significance of each particular moment. Each particular moment. In the Christian life, we understand that there's really no, no throwaway seasons or throwaway moments in life. There are no throwaway relationships. Because we have to recognize that every decision we make, every action that we take, every minute matters. It makes a difference. This is why Paul said, Therefore I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not just stumbling through life, uh, not knowing where I'm going. I'm not just scrambling here and there with no sense of direction. I, I do what I do with a clear sense of direction, a clear sense of purpose. And like Paul, when we have a clear sense of direction and purpose in life, then we realize that every moment... Every action, every decision we make matters. 
Because as Christians, we realize that everything that we do has eternal significance. And often we are tempted to compromise when it comes to our purpose and our direction in life by saying things like, just this once. Just this once I'll have that drink. Just this once I'll look at that website. Just this once I will pad my expense account. Just this once I'll splurge. Just this once. And it's not long before just this once turns into a situation that's out of control. Because what typically happens is when we compromise in our direction and purpose in life by saying just this once, we end up saying just this once another time. And then a third time. And soon it is very difficult to get life back on track. This is why there's not a just this once clause when it comes to the Christian life. Because every moment matters. Even the moment here today, your decision to worship God, to be in this place or worship where you are at home, it matters. It makes a difference. The truth is, just this once never serves us well. It never serves us well. Understand the significance of each particular moment. And then finally, there's a third perspective that I think will help us to cultivate this uh, fruit of the spirit of self-control. And that is to understand the significance of every minor victory. The significance of every minor victory. A few weeks ago, we looked at a passage from Jesus where he said, You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And this really points to a, a very important principle when it comes to the Christian life. And that is, smaller victories lead us to bigger victories. Notice that? Smaller victories lead us to bigger victories when it comes to a life of faith. Uh, this is true. Uh, we see this in King David, his, his life. You remember King David began as a small shepherd boy on the hillside tending sheep. And then he tells us uh, while he was tending sheep, he had an experience with a lion and he defeated the lion. And he had an experience with a bear, and he defeated the bear. And we see how these smaller victories, although I wouldn't call that really small victories, but we see how those small victories ended up paving the way for him to be able to defeat the, arm, the, the giant Goliath and setting the armies of Israel free from that. And he was able to keep his sheep secure, God's sheep. And the same is true when it comes to self-control. Every small victory paves the way. It leads us to even greater victories. This is why Paul says in verse 27, I punish my body and enslave it. Of course, he's talking metaphorically here. But his point is that he practiced self-control and self-discipline so that he would not miss out on that prize of eternal life. And Paul understood the significance of every minor victory in that journey. I heard about a man not too long ago who told, he said that his New Year's resolution was to make his bed every day. <laughs> that was his New Year's resolution, make his bed every day. His family gave him a lot of grief about that. They said, you know, you've really set the bar high for yourself, haven't you? But he goes on to say that later this daily victory of making his bed every day actually helped him develop that self-discipline in his life that enabled him to experience even greater victories. Personally and professionally. A simple thing. I read about another man who's in his 70s, and he's probably one of the most uh, successful men that I know of. And he said that his most valuable lesson in life 
is that there is an unbreakable connection between physical exercise and obedience. He said that when I am more disciplined physically, I am more disciplined spiritually. Now, my point is not that you probably need to go out and you know, join a gym or something. <laughs> my point is this. Understand the significance of every minor, every minor victory in your life. Because the time that you practice and discipline any area of your life, no matter how small it is, you are paving the way for even greater victories in the future. And this is especially true when it comes to cultivating this spiritual fruit known as self-control. Wherever you are on that spectrum of self-control in your life, know that this is an area that you can begin to see victory in. Because self-control is a fruit that is produced by God's Spirit working within us. So when you ask for God's help with whatever area of self-control that you're dealing with, you will begin to experience those little victories. The victory will come to you step by step. For every time you're faithful over a minor victory, over a little, then that paves the way you're preparing yourself to experience even greater victories. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that this fruit of self-control is so important is that it takes us from the place of just saying that I want to be more about love and, and kindness and peace and good I want to, and all the other fruits of the Spirit. It moves us to actually putting these things into practice. But like all the other fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of self-control is not something you can just do on your own by gritting your teeth and just make, making it happen. I mean, it is your job to till the soil, to plant the seed, to water, to cultivate, to weed, to, to prune, to fertilize and to nurture. You've got to do all that you can do, but you are not on your own. God will empower your every effort. And after you have done everything that you can do, he will help you do the rest. That's the way his Holy Spirit works. Our lives can be characterized by love, by joy, peace, and kindness, by goodness, and patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can actually live that way with the help of God's Spirit. And when you are walking in the light of God's Holy Spirit, your life will be blessed immeasurably. You will also become a blessing to everyone around you. And it is one way, the most important way, I think, that we can impact and change the world around us for the better. So let us make that our goal. I want to invite you once again as we close to say this prayer with me. And as you see on the screens, I invite you to say it with me wherever you are at home. Let us pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May it be so. Amen.